Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Food and Drink Podcast. I'm Oliver Nyberg, a market analyst and journalist for Lumen Intelligence Sustainability. The multi-billion dollar global coffee industry relies on around 25 million smallholder family-run farms to supply it with Arabica and Robusta coffee. These producers often live in developing nations in Latin America, Asia and Africa that have high proportions of people living below the international poverty line. Struggling to cover the costs of labour in a market where prices are forever fluctuating, farms can turn to young people for support. This may mean children missing out on schooling or being exposed to pesticides which could impact them for the rest of their lives. The UN has set a target to end child labour in all its forms by 2025. How far has the coffee sector, the industry and governments come to stamping out this practice? And while child labour in cocoa is well publicised, why don't we hear about it as much in coffee? There's not any campaign against the coffee sector looking at labour. It could be bad in the sense that there are probably things going undetected. This episode features a discussion with Bambri Semrock, Vice President of Sustainable Markets and Strategies at the Sustainable Coffee Challenge. The challenge, initiated by Conservation International and Starbucks, is a collaborative effort of companies, governments, NGOs and research institutions to transition the coffee sector to be fully sustainable. I started asking Bambi how prevalent child labour is in coffee. So child labor in coffee, I mean, it's really hard to say how prevalent it is. I mean, there's not a lot of great studies saying this is how many children um, are in, in coffee um, farms or, or working in coffee. But there are some, some good studies um, by the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, they, they review um, which countries are producing coffee and which ones have um, labor violations for coffee, but also for other commodities. And so they, their most recent study, um, they found 16 countries identified as having um, potential risk of child labor for coffee. So that gives us a sense of like 16 out of about 50 to 60 countries that produce coffee um, may have some risk associated with the child labor. The US Department of Labor now has 17 coffee producing countries listed on its website that it says are at risk of child labor. This includes seven of the top 10 coffee producing countries, including the top two, Brazil and Vietnam, as well as nations with high levels of poverty like Uganda and Tanzania. But research into child labor and coffee is sparse. The Department of Labor only has statistics for three of the 17 at-risk countries. These statistics show around 1,400 children aged five to 14 were in child labor and coffee in Costa Rica, a survey in Brazil found almost 5,000 child labourers cultivating coffee in Brazil, while Vietnam's government estimates around 34,000 child labourers grow coffee. It is, I mean, is it quite strange that there, there isn't more in-depth studies in, in, into this area because incomes in, in, in coffee are relatively low and usually with low incomes, child labour, the worst forms of child labour come come hand in hand. So why hasn't this issue attracted as much attention and as much, you know, research efforts? The reason that child labor may, may appear to be under under research compared to other agricultural commodities or other issues, um, I think it's really about the fact that we're growing coffee, coffee being produced in, you know, 50 to 60 different countries. And even though there's some more aggregation or consolidation happening in the sector, um, 
it's it's not to the degree that you would find in, in Togo where it's really like 80% from two West African countries. This is, you know, you know, at least five or six countries producing the bulk of the world's coffee, but then we have the specialty market that, you know, is drawing from, you know, 40 and 50 countries. And so it's a little, little bit of a different um, commodity. I would also say it's a very like small holder centric commodity um, in the sense that, you know, 90% of farmers and coffee are smallholder farmers. And so that gives prevalence to um, more potential family labor conditions. Um, and I think that for 20 some years now, coffee has been at the, the forefront, I would say, in, in thinking about sustainability. And that's included things like good labor practices on coffee farms through certification programs. And so you still look at the certification percentages, um, majority of certificates today, um, when you look at across all commodities are coffee certificates. Um, so, so you have a lot of certification happening in coffee. Um, and so I think that that gave us a sense perhaps that things were okay or <laughs> probably um, better than maybe what we know about in, in other commodities. But what we're seeing is um, that there's still a lot of challenges. And so it's one of the reasons why at Conservation International and as part of the Sustainable Coffee Challenge, um, we identified labor as an issue that we wanted to tackle together because it was kind of, we know we know a little bit, but the information isn't really consolidated, even the information that we have. Um, and then it, it felt like it was something that it's, it's a hard issue to talk about um, if it's not necessarily in the news, right? If it's in the news, people will talk about it. But if it's not in the news, um, it's been harder to to get people to talk about there's not any campaign against the coffee sector looking at labor and so you know there's efforts that the industry is taking to try and address labor practices and child labor um, but they don't ever get any attention and maybe that's good maybe that's bad it's maybe good to get more investment and more things happening on the ground but it could be bad in the sense that you know there are probably things going undetected certification in coffee is fairly widespread what has certification been able to achieve in in terms of labor and where are the gaps? I think what has been able, what certification's been able to achieve in labor is all of the certifications have a whole slew of, of indicators looking at labor practices and how, how workers are treated. So that's something that is consistent throughout all of the programs and and child labor or the worst forms of child labor are included in, in all of those different um, certification programs. I think there's a couple areas where we need to do better in terms of how the certifications handle labor practices and in child labor in particular, is that one of them is certifications are based on an annual audit system, right? So these samples of farms are audited and visited and verified once a year. Um, and so, you know, you have eyes and ears on the ground once a year, but not on a perpetual basis. So, you know, we need, we always said Conservation International, what we say is certifications give you a little bit of a sense of, of what might be happening, gives you a little bit of risk mitigation, risk assurance, but it's not the same as having boots on the ground, um, visiting farms on, on a regular basis. And that's also what's needed to detect these things. If certification audits once a year are not going going far far enough, what, what what is needed? So what we advise companies to do is do 
you know, work with their supply chains and work with, you know, extension agencies, um, local NGOs, um, some of the trading companies who do more frequent visits to to have the conversation about what are they seeing, what are some of the issues, what are, you know, I've been on farms where you see children on farms. Are they working? Are they not working? Are they there because they're safer there than they would be locked in a house somewhere with no parental supervision? So these are the really tough issues that may lead to children being on a farm. Um, and if they are seen as picking coffee alongside of their parents, is that good or bad? So those are some of the, the issues that we see in coffee in the sense that you have migra- migrant families coming to, during the harvest season to pick coffee. They, some of them are coming with their families. Um, and then w- what are they supposed to do with their children at that time? And you know, larger farms sometimes invest in um, daycare or creches for the children, um, but medium and smaller farms are gonna struggle to have that expense. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, what happens to those children, right? And and I also think that this is also a, this is an industry issue, it's a government issue, right? In places where you have mandatory education and you have, you know, schools available for children, we don't run into this as much. And so when you, when, when you, when you have a good enforcement of labor policies as well. So it's not just about the industry cleaning it all up, it's the industry and the governments and, and other stakeholders working together to, to figure out solutions. And I know the data is 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 sparse, but which countries are the most at risk of the worst forms of child labour in coffee? It's really hard to say which countries are at the most risk. I think the best information we have is from the U.S. Department of Labour, which identified you know sixteen countries as having the risk of child labor in coffee. Um, and so it, it's not like one country versus another. And, and sometimes what you see in the news headlines might be because those countries might have better enforcement mechanisms. And so sometimes what gets picked up is because the policies and legislation might actually be there versus other countries where it might not be enforced as readily. And so we don't detect it as readily either. Whereas in, in COCA you had you know large attention um, on the worst forms of child labour and cocoa from the Harkin Engel protocol and you know large scale commitments from 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 the industry which have not been not been met but nonetheless there was a lot of attention on the uh, on the issue yet there hasn't I as far as I can see there in coffee there hasn't been a similar level of governments pushing for to end the worst forms of child labor in in coffee or companies committing to end the worst forms of of child labor in coffee i mean would that be fair to say i think that in coffee the mechanisms that the industry uses to address the worst forms of child labor have been a little bit different so in the coffee sector um many years ago the the four c's um verification process emerged as a baseline standard um, to eradicate, you know, the 10 worst practices that we did not want to see in, in, in coffee supply chains. And so um, I think that if you ask the industry if they had a commitment, they would say, well, you know, over 50% of, of coffee is verified according to one of these programs that, you know, that verifies, like, you know, that these practices aren't in our supply chain. So to them, it might feel like they do have a commitment, um, but they're 
there's not a commitment where the CEOs are standing on a stage shouting from the rooftop. We have the same thing for deforestation that we're working on now. It's like, you know, it's embedded in all of the certification programs and verification programs. Um, and so I think it, it, because the coffee center has been at that forefront of developing certification programs, it's, it's been kind of, a, these things have been embedded in those programs. And so I don't think they felt like, okay, now we need to shout from the rooftop about labor versus deforestation versus prices versus something else, because I think there was a hope that these certification programs would, would address those issues. Under the Sustainable um, Coffee Challenge, uh, are you also advocating for child labour monitoring and, and and remediation systems, where you have you know a local a local person who would who would act as a child labour agent and would you know report on you know where they see instance of instance of child labour to have more regular checks than 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 certification. So within the Sustainable Coffee Challenge, what we've been doing with all of our collective action networks, so these are networks that meet once a month, that we facilitate um, conference calls and face-to-face meetings of, to try and figure out like what is the core issue, um, what do we know about it, what tools and resources are out there to, to help address it, and what's missing. And so we've been meeting for the past two years to try and figure out, okay, what are do we have common principles of what we align on in terms of good labor practices? So we spent a lot of time aligning the sector around that and developing um, a common code of conduct or model code of conduct that everybody could use to look at their own codes of conduct against, you know, what would be considered, you know, best in class for a code of conduct that addressed labor issues in, in their supply chain. So we've moved from there now to really trying to focus on why do these labor issues occur and what are the root causes of them what's driving them and trying to figure out okay where could we focus some attention and and really try and tackle some of these issues together and not individually through individual supply chains so we're just embarking on that work now since we've gotten through a lot of that you know aligning on principles building the trust understanding you know what tools and resources and approaches are currently out there and now it's time to come together and try to scale some of that work up. Um, but that also means trying to figure out, okay, what are some of the root causes, you know, and trying to help the industry and everyone understand how complicated some of these issues are, that just having a, a firm line of like no child labor or no children on farms can mean that children are in more dangerous situations than they might have been on the farm. How do you create safe conditions for the children while the parents are working? Why do you? What do you think are the root causes of some of these labour issues, like the worst forms of of child labour? What leads this to happen in in coffee? Well, I think that the worst forms of child labour um, are really around, you know, corruption and illegality and and those types of, of you know. Just practices that nobody ever wants to to think about coming from any commodity um, and a lot of our work right now in the collective action network on labor is really looking at you know labor recruiting practices so in coffee what we see in terms of you were mentioning like low prices and or price volatility that we see in coffee and you know high levels of smallholders and you know 
um, and poverty, honestly. And so what does that do to, to families and, and to children in these situations? And in coffee, what we have is, um, for a typical farm, about 70% of their cost of production are labor costs. So when you have low market prices, you're going to have labor issues. And so that can lead to, you know, some questionable practices or bad practices in terms of how you get people to pick coffee, especially during the harvest period, um, and, and who picks the coffee. And so that's something that we've been trying to think through for, you know, over two years now of like with climate change, with market volatility, we have these potential disruptions in labor pattern. So if we're relying on a lot of migrant labor to pick and harvest coffee, then if you have a, a rust outbreak or if you have low prices, which we have right now, or the combination of the two, how does that disrupt the migrant labor flow? And what does that do to, to these families? And, and then if you don't have labor to pick the coffee, where are you going to get it? And that's what leads to, I think, recruiters coming in and saying, we can supply Labors, laborers for your farm, and where do they get those those workers, um, and what practices are those recruiters using to recruit workers? And so, a lot of the work that we're seeing some of the partners in the Sustainable Coffee Challenge do now is looking at those recruiting practices to see like how are they doing it, and how could they be kind of monitored or evaluated um, in terms of their practices. So we kind of root out some of the, the bad ones um, in terms of if they're recruiting children or if they're doing any kind of forced recruit, recruitment. And my, my understanding of the, the, co the coffee sector, you have the largest producer in, in Brazil where the average farm size and uh, is a lot larger and therefore you know annual yields um will be a lot higher than in places like 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 in, in africa for for example so i mean it, it, in these countries in africa where you have lower yields and lower average farm sizes i suppose one thing is to have the checks and balances where you have um audits on on farms and you have that monitoring and evaluation taking place but i mean is there something you know beyond those checks and balances that addressing what the real issue may potentially be the the circumstances that create this this poverty in the first place i mean it, it, the checks and balances will, you know, mean companies will show due diligence, but it's not going to do much to change farmer income and do more to reduce the levels of the worst forms of child labour. So, would does the industry collectively need to go further and look at look at price? So, we feel that the industry as a whole and that the, when we talk about industry it's not just the private sector it's the public sector as well um but we we have to have more public private partnerships looking at these issues together um and so they we have to get the markets working but we also need to get the government <laughs> governance working um in terms of providing some of the the services and the reg regulations and the enforcement that's needed um and i think that that has to come from from both sides it needs to come from the supply chain but it also needs to come from the governments themselves. Um, in terms of the price issue, 
yes, the industry does need to create markets that actually work and, and allow for or enable profitability of, of coffee farms. If a farm is not making a profit, then it's going to go out of business or it's going to become something that's just subsistence. Um, and, and not really value, you know, a valuable asset for, for the farmer in, in the sense of growing coffee. Um, if you're not making money from coffee, why would you continue to grow coffee, right? That that's kind of the special issue. And if you're not making a profit, you're not able to reinvest back into the farm and grow your business. And so we have to figure out a profitable exchange of value um, within the, the coffee market side. And I think that in doing that, it'll address some of these issues. But I also think that you know, if there are no schools that children can go to, if there is no childcare, if if those services aren't available, then we're still going to have children um, that don't have a lot of opportunities in terms of where they can go while the the parents are working. Just finally, I mean, one one of the issues that I see in researching some of these agricultural commodities is that the the farmer's voice isn't um, necessarily heard and that leads to this disjointed power structure in in in, in some of the agricultural commodity um, sectors in coffee how does that play out with the sustainable coffee challenge for for example how involved uh, 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 farmers in the in this process? That's a great question. I think it's one of the things that all of these global initiatives might struggle with because having a conversation um, that involves producers at this in the same level of conversation that you can have with producers in the room. I think that one of the challenges that we've seen is engaging and, and finding opportunities and value for producers to engage in the conversations that we're having in the sustainable coffee challenge is, is one of the bigger challenges. Part of it is language barriers um, and translation needs. It's time, it's, it's um, access in the sense of we're doing a lot of things virtually through conference calls. So we tend to get some participation, but not enough. Um, and so one of the things that we're thinking about now is how could we do more like in-person meetings, um, invest and provide funding for farmers to, to come to meetings um, and relying more on um, federations of, of coffee growers and representation in that way to make sure that that farmer voice is heard. And that brings us to the end of our podcast. It really does surprise me that child labor and coffee doesn't attract that much attention. Some farm sizes are incredibly low. It's a smallholder sector and the prices are also low and volatile. My hunch is that it must be widespread and that research efforts are needed to give stronger baselines. Those baselines will help us better judge the effectiveness of interventions and programs. And that's what's really needed if industries and governments are serious about eliminating child labour in all its forms by 2025 as prescribed by the UN. It's apparent that governments are also starting to clamp down. It's already illegal to import goods from forced or indentured child labor to the United States. There's no evidence that that's ever enforced, but two US senators recently called for a crackdown. Elsewhere in Europe, the Netherlands will next year implement a child labor due diligence law. That will mean companies delivering products to the Dutch market must report on activities to address child labor risks in their supply chains. But 
how can you prove due diligence in coffee if there's almost no research to know when child labour is and isn't occurring? Thank you for listening. Please do check out Luminar Intelligence Sustainability for more on cocoa, coffee, tea and palm sustainability. The music credit goes to Blue Dot Sessions. Until next time, goodbye.